It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Woo! Look at you. Hi. Good to see you again. It's nice to see you too, always. Well, you know, the first conversation that you and I had together back, it was 2013, was also the first episode we posted on our Super Soul podcast. And somebody just told me, one of the producers just told me that before we started, that that's been listened to, you know, one and two, over 4.2 million downloads on that. So it just says to me how what you're saying and the content you're putting out into the world. I think what it says is that people are hungry for this kind of, 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 of information and you're still doing it. Wow. Not only that. I'm still trying. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, no, still trying. You have done it again with Atlas of the heart. How do you keep doing it? I do not know. I would have to say, this is a beautiful book. This is a hefty book. It feels, you know, I love a book book. And even yeah. when they had sent me through PDF this book, I said, can somebody please just give me the book? So can somebody just give me the book? This is whoever did this cover, give them a round of applause. Cause I just yeah. many times when back in the day, uh, when I was choosing book clubs, I would just go through, you know, a bookstore, just browsing, browsing, browsing. And I often chose books by their cover. Certainly you are interested by the cover. This is such an amazing cover. Thank you so much. And it was a team from Global Prairie. It was a big collaboration. Um, we really wanted it to capture what was on the inside. Yes. Mapping meaningful connection in the language of human experience, which is a hard thing to tackle. But may I say you all have done it in such an accessible way that it feels like you're speaking our language, which is in essence what you were trying to do. I love how you start with, uh, with, with, with the epigraph from Rumi, heart is sea, language is shore. So how do you interpret language is shore? And is that the idea at the heart of this book? God, it's like, no matter what I'm doing, there's a Rumi quote for it. Heart is sea, language is shore, whatever sea includes, will hit the shore. To me, what that means is our heart 
is this sea of expansiveness, of emotion, of experience. And at some point, that emotion and experience needs to bump into language. Wow. Yes. And language, therefore, is the shore. It's the, it's the, yeah. it's the stabilizer. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. More to come after this short break. No two travelers are exactly alike. And that means no two trips should be either. Texas' vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. Are you a beach person? Well, you'll be having fun under the sun with Texas' 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies can't get enough of Texas' world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Macy's Mother's Day gift guide has the perfect gift to make mom feel special. Shop by price, like 25 and under to 100 and under. Category, like fragrance, handbags, and more. Or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything. Gifts that are already wrapped and ready to be gifted and for grandma. Get top gifts like Dolce & Gabbana Devotion, Eau de Parfum, Coach Floral Printed Leather Cassie Crossbody Bag, and Le Creuset Shallot Dutch Oven. Shop at Macy's.com slash gift finder. I went into this with a love of language. I had no idea. I mean, zero idea. As much research as I've done. What language means to us as a social species. I just did not understand. And so you came out of it understanding what? Because you describe language as finding the right words and gestures to communicate experience to as, as a kind of life jacket. I love that. Yeah. As a kind of life jacket. Well, imagine this. Maybe 15 years ago, we collected survey research from right over 7,000 people. And we asked them this question. Write a list of every emotion that you can recognize in yourself when you're feeling it and you can name it. And the average number was three. Happy, mad, and sad. And I started to ask myself, what does it mean if we don't have a vocabulary that's as expansive as the human experience? Wow. Of course you would be asking that question. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. But okay, you would be asking that question. You know why you'd be asking that question? I love this, like really in the beginning of the book where there is... (laughs) There is this letter that you have written back in 1984 asking the question, why we feel the pain we feel. So you've been thinking about these ideas for a very long time. And may I say, the most beautiful penmanship. It's just gorgeous writing. So you've been thinking about these and asking these questions for a long time. And it wasn't until reading this that I realized you're so right having the language to help you explore and define, you know, your, your emotions, not only your emotions, 
you, you were able to label 87 different emotions. Yeah. And what I realized just in kind of a painful personal way was that for me growing up, survival was about understanding the connection between emotion, behavior, and thinking. I needed to, at a volatile household, I needed to understand, especially as the oldest of four, what comment or what behavior was going to kick something into gear where I needed to both protect myself and my siblings. And so I started really fine tuning this ability. And let me tell you, I was good at it. Like I could, I could say, oh, this person said that to be funny. We've got five minutes before all hell breaks loose. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Like it was a hypervigilance, which my therapist would call it today, a hypervigilance around that connection. And I used to think to myself all the time, like, Jesus, is no one else seeing this? Did no one else see this coming? Because it's always coming. It doesn't just come from nowhere. No. So on this beautiful cover, you say that we are the map makers and the travelers. And in the book, you define yourself as being a map maker and having been one for a long time. Where did that metaphor for yourself and for the rest of us come from? So a couple things. I'm obsessed with maps and antique maps. Like I'm a just I, cartography is so interesting to me. Um, the second thing is it's actually a correction or it's a it's an explanation because I think in the last three books I've started by telling readers I am a map maker and a traveler, meaning I'm going to give you the research and the findings. But look, I'm on the road with you. I'm not leading you. I'm stumbling next to you. In this book, I wanted to say to people. We're all the map makers here. I can't give you any direction about where to go because I have no idea where you are now, where you've been. You are going to have to take responsibility for being the cartographer of your own life. Mm. And we all are. We all are. Right. Yeah. So what was it like? You, you, you work with therapists, you work with educators, you work with researchers, you work with community leaders, you work with college interns, among others, to write this. An entire team sharing experiences and talking about emotions. That mm. must have been so powerful. Oh, I love this part. I was, I was like, oh, please let Oprah ask me some of the geeky, <laughs> nerdy research questions. Um, and I knew you would because... You're, you got the geek in you, you got the nerd yeah, in you, right? Geek in me, yeah. Yeah. So here's where it started. I just, when I saw the picture of some of you, I just thought, wow, that must have been, that must have been like some hot vibes, you know, like just like vibing off of each other. Yes. Mm-hmm. But it started with you and me. And I'll tell you why. How so? Yeah. Yeah. It started with you and I several years ago did the e course on the gifts of imperfection. Yes, 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 yes. Something like 80,000 people went through that course. And we had hundreds of thousands of pieces of data. So we stripped all of the data, all the comments from that course, and analyzed it asking a question. What emotion or human experience are people struggling to name accurately? And we got a big list. Then I gathered those therapists and those researchers Diverse, not only in their identity, but also diverse in the communities they served. And we filled a room full of these emotions that emerged from that secondary data from that course that we taught. And we asked this question. We gave them literally garage sale stickers, red, yellow, and green. And we asked the question, 
on the wall, you'll see over 200 emotions and experiences. Give me a green dot if you have to be able to really name and understand this to heal from it or move through it. A yellow dot if naming it is 50-50 important and a red dot if naming it's not really essential to understanding or moving through it. From that, we ended up with a core group of emotions and experiences that I dig into in the middle of the book. That's how we came up with that list. So it was really, and then we added a couple just because we needed to, like, for example, jealousy came up, but I needed to add envy because the best way to teach jealousy was to teach the difference between jealousy and envy. What is the difference? Wow, God, I do not use the right language in my personal life. So envy is usually an experience between two people. Jealousy is an experience between three. Envy is when we want something that someone else has. Jealousy is when we're afraid of losing something we already have to someone else. And so weirdly, like if you showed me your vacation pictures and you're like, Brene, look at this last vacation. It was so fun. And I would say, oh my God, I'm so jealous. That looks great. I'm actually not jealous. You're envious. I'm envious. Yes. But I think we don't say that for two reasons. One, we don't say that because I think it's one of the great sins and no one wants to say they're envious. It has a different connotation. Secondly, there's two types of envy. An envy where I'm glad you had that vacation. I want it too. And then a dangerous kind of envy, which is, I want that and I don't want you to have that. Yes, yes, yes. So it's so much easier just to say, and we, we have cute words for jealousy. You're like, oh, Oprah, I'm so jelly. That looks like amazing. <laughs> but we're actually not jealous. We're actually envious. And in some cases, we have malicious envy. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Some things should be boring, like banking. Boring is safe and reliable. You don't want your bank to be entertaining. Entertaining is for podcasts with inspiring celebrity guests, not banks. PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is the service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc. PNC Bank, National Association, member FDIC. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories should never be about us, without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Yes. You know, before I read uh, Atlas of the Heart, I knew, of course, what schadenfreude was because I have experienced it. Uh, 
it's taking pleasure in another person's pain, but I'd never heard of Freudenfreud, which is mm. enjoying another person's success. I love that. And you say that depressed people might exhibit deficiencies in Freudenfreud. And yeah. not only just, just depressed people, there are a lot of people who cannot take pleasure in other people's happiness. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting research. I, I was so shocked when I found, I had never heard of Freudenfreud either. But this idea that sometimes we experience depression as a result of not experiencing enough Freud and Freud, like we just, you know, and I, I, I thought about something I taught my kids when they were in elementary school. I used to say, I used to ask them to cup their hands and put them in front of me. And I said, in your hand is your flame. It's your soul. It's your light. You need to surround yourself with friends who, when your light is shining bright, don't feel the need to blow it out. Whoa. So yeah. powerful. Yeah. And I said, and when things get windy and stormy, you want a good friend who sees your light dimming and cups their hands around it to protect it a little bit. And so I don't know how it happened, but both of my kids, my nieces to this day still say, yeah, I thought we'd be good friends, but she's a, can she's a candle blower outer. Oh. Yeah. I think the opposite That's the of the kind of lesson that would stick. That's yeah. the lesson that would stick. So many things with me uh, in the book stuck, like the difference between I'm in the weeds and I'm blown. So <laughs> I, 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 I was only a waitress for one day and, and make it through one day because I realized there's never a place to sit down. You can never actually, how do you, when, when you get to rest? Oh no, that, that was not for me. But you described being a waitress at a restaurant where the demand was really high and this idea of I'm in the weeds or I'm blown. And it's so important, I realized, to be able to know the difference because a lot of time people just say, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed. Can you speak to that? Yeah, so let me start by saying this. And this is, I'm telling you, language, Oprah. There's a, there's a quote in the book that I came across when I was in college and I, it, it hit me. You know how when you come across those things and that you know somewhere this is going to play out in your life? Right. It was by Ludwig Wittgenstein. And it says, the limits of my language mean the limits of my world. So stress and overwhelm. Here's what I did not know. And I've been a researcher for 20 something years. I should I wish I would have known. Let's say you decide to make some chocolate chip cookies. You get out a bowl, you add the milk, you add the flour, the brown sugar, the egg. But what if I told you that the cookies changed the way they tasted based on the bowl you picked? That's what language is. Language does not just communicate emotion. It shapes what we're feeling. So when I use a word to describe how I'm feeling, Many times, my body will follow my language. So the difference between stress and overwhelm, as, as a waiter, we would always say, oh, crap, I'm in the weeds. Hey, Oprah, can you take bread to table 14, uh, re-tea table 16, and table four needs a Greek salad. Great, thanks. And we all depend on each other like that. The life, life in general is weedsy and stressful. But two times in my six-year bartending and waiting tables career, I would walk into the kitchen and I would say, I'm blown. And in that moment, everyone went into action. 
they would say, go sit, go leave. I was like, what? And they're like, leave. And someone would run up to the hostess stand and say, what tables does Brene have? Oh, she has five through 10. The line manager in the restaurant would say, we've got open tickets on five, six, and seven, nine, 10 are eating. People would just take over. They wouldn't even expect you to help them help you. I thought that was so significant. That, yeah. even in a, that, that somebody had figured out that when you're at, in, in the blown state and not yeah. just that you really just need to be able to come back to yourself. Yes. Yeah. Do nothing. And do nothing in order to do that. Yes. And nothingness is actually what the researchers say is the only way to come back from overwhelm. And so we were allowed to go into the freezer, the parking lot, but we had to be gone for 10 minutes. And so now I use the word overwhelm too much. I'd say, oh God, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so overwhelmed. Stop, Renee. Because what would happen is my heart would start racing. My nervous system would say, oh, geez, I didn't know we were overwhelmed. Yes. Yes. There's a great quote from John Kabat-Zinn around overwhelm that kind of took my breath away. He said that overwhelm means life is unfolding at a rate that neither my psyche nor my nervous system can handle. Yes. Ah, dang. That's me. Well, let's go back to that quote uh, from the German philosopher. The limits of my language mean the limits of my world. I think that was so perfectly said and it gets to the heart of what you're trying to do in this book. You're trying to help us expand the language with Mm. which we communicate our feelings. Yes. Yeah, because imagine this is an example I give in the book, and I think about it all the time. Imagine, we'll just use, we'll use you as an example. Imagine that you have a pain in your shoulder that's right. so acute that when you feel it, you literally see stars, like it takes your breath away. You finally get a, a, an appointment with the orthopedist. You go in, and she looks at you and says, I'm here to help. What's going on? And the moment you try to point to it and describe it, there's duct tape over your mouth. Your hands are tied behind your back. Correct. And she said, I don't understand. I don't understand. I know people well enough to know that there are probably two options for us in that situation. We either lose control and th- start thrashing about and knocking things off the counter and just lose our minds, or we slump over in despair. If all we really have are three words to describe happy, happy, sad, and and mad. What happens to grief, anguish, despair, wonder, joy, heartbreak? What happens? And that is why language is a portal to universes of new choices and second chances. And language is a portal to actual connection. That's how yes. connection. And what you say so beautifully in the book is the connection is the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. But you can't have that if you can't communicate 
your feelings, which is what we've heard for so many years from women talking about their spouses in particular. He doesn't communicate, he doesn't communicate. But we, what you're saying in Atlas of the Heart is that we all have issues with the language of communicating our emotions. Yes. I could tell you, it was like really hard to group these, these words. And I say emotions and experiences, because as you know, you've done this work for decades as well. There's a lot of academic fighting about really what constitute, constitutes an emotion, what doesn't. So I just say emotions and experiences because that covers everything. But when I was like, okay, we've got these 87, do we do them alphabetically? What do we do? What do we do? You know, what do we do? And then what I realized, no, I didn't realize sucking that back. My, our interns told us, God, don't teach them alphabetically because we learned the most comparatively. So when yes. you put, yeah. So that's how we did it. So we did places you go when things are uncertain. When we yeah. compare. That, that is so interesting that your intern said that because I remember so much from the book because of the comparisons. For example, shame, this struck me. Shame is the birthplace of perfectionism. The comparison of shame to perfectionism, that perfectionism is not striving to be our best or working toward excellence, which I always thought it was. Healthy striving is internally driven. Perfectionism is externally driven by a simple but potentially all-consuming question of what will people think? So. I'm thinking, wow, I never, ever would have been able to compare or even, you know, analyze in the same space, shame and perfectionism. So y'all were doing it. Y'all, y'all have done some work in, in this book. It, it, it was exciting to me. I mean, that is two things, shame and comparison. I mean, shame and um, perfectionism. It's so interesting especially because I do all this leadership work in organizations where people don't understand that relationship and they actually build a perfectionistic culture intentionally. And then they get to this place where they're like, there's no innovation or creativity. What's going on? Well, shame kills creativity and innovation. And perfectionism is, perfectionism is a defense mechanism against shame. If I look perfect, live perfect and do it perfectly, I can avoid or minimize shame, judgment, and blame. And for those of us who struggle with perfectionism, myself included, when we invariably feel judgment or blame or shame, because it's just part of the human experience, our thinking is not, oh, this perfectionism thing is BS. It's not working. Our thinking is, I wasn't perfect enough. Yeah. And you write that love and belonging are irreducible needs for all people, you say. And in the absence yeah. of these experiences, there's always suffering. And then when we look around at our society today, mm -hmm. we see so many people literally in crisis, Brene, and suffering. Mm -hmm. And I think that as people somehow feeling, I think about what is the root of all of that suffering and anger and, 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 and think of it different now after reading Atlas, because I don't even know, it, it looks like anger, but there's gotta be lots of other things going on there. But I think ultimately so many people feel that they don't belong, they are disconnected, they aren't connected to others and to the natural and the spiritual world. Is that how you see it? What, do you, what is happening to us now? We are untethered. Mm, yes. We're adrift. I think 
spiritually, emotionally, physically, cognitively. I think we're adrift. And we are just because of politics, right? No, 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 no. We're, we're adrift. We're adrift because you know how overwhelm, like I said, that, that, um, that definition of overwhelm, the world is unfolding faster than my nervous system and my psyche can manage. Yes. The world is unfolding faster than we as a social species can manage. And it's unfolding in a way that drives separation, not that drives connection. And we've confused hyper communicating with connection. I think one of the big problems, and I got this wrong too, actually, I didn't get it wrong, but I missed it. As we're unmoored, untethered, adrift, we are desperately trying to find a port, somewhere to pull in and find safe harbor. What we don't understand is that port is inside of us. It is not external. It is not external. The only way to find the shore right now is within us. But there are a lot of very smart people who recognize lost, the fact that we're lost, and have created external ports that offer us very quick, very counterfeit connection and a sense of belonging. But aren't they also trying to control? They're absolutely trying to control. And they're being very successful. And the reason they're being so successful is because we are untethered because we're untethered lost we're we are yeah yeah Yeah. and how did we get this way it seems it seems like well certainly in the last administration there was a lot of talk about the division and and how disconnected we all are from each other but that didn't just happen in order for that to happen and for us to be in this space now means it had to be coming for a while and we had to be loose uh, loosened from ourselves to now to be so uh, to be completely untethered, don't you think? I do think, and I think, you know, I think that the answer is really hard um, and people disagree with me, but I feel more convinced than ever that this is at least a big variable. I know on a micro level from the research that if you do not turn toward a painful story and own it, mm-hmm. that story owns you. In this country, if we do not turn toward our collective painful story around race, around poverty, around, if we do not turn toward that story and own it, it will continue to own us. And that pain is owning us right now. And if you look at the way it's owning us, you will see that it's just, it's, being leveraged in really painful ways. And it's, it, it, it's a legacy of dehumanization and power over. Yeah. Well, it's being leveraged in ways that literally we no longer have a shared reality. That's right. That, but, that's, but, that, but that is by design. By whose design? By, I mean... If you want to get really granular, like I've taught critical race theory for 20 years. Like there is a school district in Texas that is now saying, if we're going to teach the Holocaust, we have to teach the opposite point of view. 
there's no freaking opposite point of view. Like, you know, I think it's about, this is not about, I'm going to use a bunch of words together, but I, but this is about white male power over not white male power with or male power to, but a type of power that has always existed. It's power over it's power maintained by using fear. It's power maintained by using control and it's power. Most of all, that's defined as finite. If I give you any, I lose some. Right. Right. And that type of power right now, I mean, I wrote about this in 2015, is making a last stand, a last ditch, heroic effort in their eyes. Yes. And last stands are bloody, long, painful, and we're, we're in the middle of it. We're in the middle of, do, do you remember when, you know, the feminist movement was making great strides and domestic violence and sexual assault rates went up and, you know, the backlash, you know, we're in the middle of that. And it is a full on everyday challenge. And the systems that are being threatened are systems that I never thought in my lifetime I would see threatened. Democracy science. I mean, I just never thought there'd be a threat to science. Literature. Oh, literature. Yeah. Teaching, education, education. history, history, actual history. Yeah. So, and, and so what you, what you smell is desperation. What you smell is desperation. And how do we, re- how do we begin to foster a deeper sense of belonging or figuring out what really matters to us and retethering ourselves how 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 do how, what what are we going to do to save ourselves you know the only thing i know and i think there are, i i hope there are like a million answers and more than a million people smarter than me working on it for sure the only one i know that will make a that could make a big difference is self awareness for sure. That's it why is so- this book, Atlas of the Heart, is so important at this particular moment in time, because what it ultimately brings each person who reads it to is a greater sense of, there's an aha on every page, practically, is a greater sense of self-awareness about your feelings and your ability to articulate those feelings. So you're doing your part, but- I hope. I, I hope, but so it's a sense of self-awareness. It's by- writing this and speaking up into the world and using your platform, how do we get the world to respond? One person at a time, I guess. I mean, it's a million individual acts of self-awareness. It is that, you know, I thought about, I thought about you before this interview, but I also thought about you when I was writing this. We will do almost anything to not feel pain, including causing other people pain. Correct. You say that. Yeah. And it's so much easier to hurt than to feel hurt. I don't, you know, it's just part of our humanity, I guess. We need to understand where the hurt, the sorrow, the despair, the anguish, the rage is coming from um, so that we can not work it out on other people 
on an individual level or a collective level. It's like, I saw that boat. I saw a boat the other day in Austin that had the F-U-C-K, your feelings flag. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm I'm talking about? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is the most emotional flag ever made in the history of flags. That is that is the most, the deepest emotional flag in the whole world. The irony is like, I can't even believe the irony that that is a rage flag. That is not a rational flag. Yeah, that is not a it's, a, it's a rage flag. Yes, it, it is. Yes. Which is an emotion. That is a hate flag. That is a rage flag. And what people don't understand is look, I, I hate to be the bearer of shit news, but we are not cognitive beings who on occasion feel and think. We are emotional beings. And the war that's being waged right now is an emotional war. And until we have a better sense of our emotions and understand where they're coming from, we're going to continue to conflict, I mean, inflict pain on each other. Well, what you stated before is just, it's just the fact. I mean, it's almost like a, it, 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 it's, it's natural law that if you don't lean into the truth of what has happened in your own family and in your own life, yes, you, 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 it, it happens individually in, 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 in the micro and in the macro for us as, as, as communities, as societies, and as, yes. as a nation. That if you're not willing to admit the truth if you're not willing to admit to the errors of the past, if you're not willing to do that, then we are never going to overcome. Ever. Ever. Which is why there's such a focus right now on making sure people don't get that history. And we know that that cannot work because you can't deny what's already happened. (laughs) No, but I mean, how many people have you talked to over the years, whether it's, addiction, divorce, violence, who spend their lives denying on a micro level and their families. Yes. Only to repeat it, myself included. And keep repeating it. Yeah. Our conversation will continue in the next episode. You can listen by downloading part two. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.